to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. We're going to finish our uh, prophecy questions today. And over the next course of the next half hour, uh, we're going to look at the questions that you have uh, issued to me and and laid up here. And uh, I will, obviously, because there's quite a few questions, I'm going to go through them. I'm not going to probably go as in-depth as maybe some would like to do, but... um, I know that I, this one question that is here, I started to answer the question two weeks ago and I went back and listened to the tape and I basically asked the question and I started talking and then I never answered the question. And so that question is, is there an evangelistic value to the Left Behind series of books to help with sharing with non-Christians? And I would say, um, yeah, I mean, there there is. Uh, there is a... I would say that the Left Behind series is very much in line with my understanding of end times events. Um, the Left Behind series, uh, seven different books, I believe is what it was. It was seven, I think there were seven different books, wasn't there? Ten? Ten books? Um, the, uh, they were written by a, a fellow who was a... Uh, an expositor of scripture. He is a he is a theologian. His name is uh, um, Tim LaHaye, and uh, he's written you know commentaries and what have you. Uh, um, and I think he has a commentary called Revelation Unveiled, I believe is what it is. Uh, but then he had also a writer um, help him with it. Um, Tim Jenkins uh, is the fellow that helped uh, Tim LaHaye or Jerry Jenkins. Jerry Jenkins. That's what his name is. Jerry. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. They're the ones that collaborated and wrote these books. And, and the thing about these books is that you have to understand that these are a plausible way that things can happen. I mean, this, you know, know that there probably isn't a, a, a Rayford Steele in there or a Nikolai Carpathia or any of them, you know, those guys. But it's the idea that that's how somebody can come to power. You know, and as have have any of you guys ever really gotten into any of those books? Any of you guys ever read any of those books? Yeah, a few of you. And it, maybe you've seen some of the movies, you know, that have come out and and uh you know, you see. So is there some evangelistic value? Yeah, if somebody is interested in reading a, you know, a series of books to that are it's very engaging you know it's if people like to read you know novels and instead of instead of picking up the harlequin romance you know or harlequin romance you know why don't you pick up a a left behind series book and just carry on and and you can you can carry on and see and there are i I can't necessarily vouch for anything beyond i think five or six books because i i don't really know i don't know i didn't read any more than that so uh but up to that point, you know, it's, it's pretty accurate, you know, of where I feel things are going to fall into place, how it's going to happen, you know, and kind of how things can happen, not how it is going to happen, but how things can happen. And so there, again, it's a story. 
it's a story. Uh, it's a viewpoint of how somebody could see how the rapture could happen. You know, the way that he does the rapture, the way that he brings the Antichrist onto the scene, uh, that is, you know, um, you know, writer's privilege. You know, he's, he's bringing out the drama of how it possibly can happen. This is, you know, a picture in his head of how he's kind of putting it onto paper of how it possibly could be. Now, it, it may not happen exactly like that, but the point is, there will be an Antichrist. You know, it, the point is, there will be a rapture. How that happens and, and how airplanes will, you know, be and how things will go with people driving cars and all that, I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's going to be mayhem. But, uh, you know, how it is that he's portrayed them, uh, it's just his way of putting it into story form to give you a plausible idea of how things can play out in the end times events. So is an evangelistic tool? Yeah, I think for somebody who would uh, want to read books, as somebody who's a reader, um, there are some movies that are out there, you know, uh, that you can, you can, you can look at left behind, I think was the first movie. I think second movie was, uh, what was the first movie? Tribulation Force, I think, was the second movie or something like that. And Nicol, you know, Carpet or Nikolai, I think, is one of the books. Or so there was, you know, quite a few books out there, and they were pretty engaging. I, I remember reading the books, and they were they were fun to read. So, I guess that's how I would answer that question. Next question. How do we effectively use the seven churches in Revelation to minister to ourselves and others? All right. Um, if you don't know, in the book of Revelation, there are uh, seven churches that are, are listed in there, and from chapters 2 through chapter 3. So it begins in chapter 2, verse 1, with the church of Ephesus, and it ends um, in chapter 3 with you know, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. And can we, how do we effectively use the seven churches in Revelation to minister to ourselves and others? Man, that is a loaded question that I could spend a whole week on. Um, uh, suffice it to say that, uh, and I think I've, I've kind of touched on it a little bit in the past, um, these are seven churches. These are actual seven churches that, that um, the Lord was writing to in Asia. And when I say Asia, it's Asia Minor, Turkey area. It's in the Turkey, uh, around Turkey area. And uh, these were actual seven churches. Now these are seven characteristics of each one of those churches. And so, mind you, this is a... It's actually dealing with those seven churches. However, the number seven is something that should cause uh, your little antenna to pop up in your head. And, uh, you know, seven is a number of completion in the Bible. You know, seven days. There's seven days in a week. There's seven notes on a, you know, chord, you know, and there's some basic colors in a rainbow. Seven, seven, seven. You know, seven is a number of completion. And so, in as much as there are seven churches that are spoken about in the book of Revelation, um, it is... And you can look at this, and many will agree with what I'm saying here, is that these seven churches would, that God is speaking to these specific seven churches. Yes, he has a message to them, but there is a global message. There is a, there is a corporate message to all churches. It's, it's speaking to the church in its completeness. Okay, So all churches can identify with this. 
you know, and you might go, well, that shouldn't be. I mean, because we shouldn't draw anything out because he said it was to the church of Ephesus. And so we really shouldn't draw things out because we're Calvary Chapel in Sarasota. And so uh, we we shouldn't do that because that's pretty pretty scary to do. Well, I would say, well, then don't pick up the book of Galatians. You know, uh, don't pick up the book of Romans. Don't pick up the book of First or Second Corinthians or or Colossians or Philippians because these were all written to specific churches. And so Paul wrote these these letters to these specific churches. And and the thing is is that when we go in and we see that there is a letter written, an epistle written to a church that Paul is addressing. There are many things that we, in Calvary Chapel, all the way fast forward to 2017, there's so many applications to ourselves and that we can draw from. We can look in there and see, hey, wait a minute, even as we did in the, in the uh, first and second Corinthians, you remember as we go back you know, a month or so ago or two months ago, you know that I have shared that uh, oftentimes when we look at what subject matter that Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church, we can liken it to what we're going through today. The debauchery that it was going on back in that day, the things that they permitted into the church, the things that they felt were okay, and Paul was rebuking them on, we can look at that and go, oh, you know, come on, Corinthians, get your act together, you know? Until we begin to look in the mirror in the church of America or in the church in the world in, in 2017 and we can go, my goodness, all of those words could be written directly to us, you know? And so there is so much that we can draw from a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There's so much that we can draw from a letter written to the church of Galatia. And there's so much that we can draw from the church of, you know, the seven churches in, in Revelation. And so uh, each one of these uh, are speaking to um, a uh, a local church there was an actual church there by the church of Ephesus uh, there's a church named Smyrna you know there's a church there in Pergamos and 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 there into uh, you know Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and so uh, and and Thyatira and so we have all of these seven churches there were actual churches there and so there's a threefold I look at this there's a threefold application and and Know that what I'm about to say is secondary to what God was trying to speak into these seven specific churches. is secondary to that. But I think it's important nonetheless. I think that there are three applications that we can draw from in, this, in these seven churches. We can look at the local church and what, what Jesus was speaking to those seven local churches. But then there also, we can look at it in a historical manner. There are many expositors, many theologians that have gone in and looked at the seven churches and the characteristics of what was going on in that church at the time, you know, in, in, in the characteristics that God, that Jesus either brought out as a highlight or brought out as a negative in the church of what was going on that he rebuked or that he caused, that he called them to repent of or that he, uh, you know, uh, you know, exhaust. It just, just it was. I've got a word in my head and I can't get it out. But that he he uh, praised them for that will work. That he praised them for that. This is a characteristic that I praise you for. You do. You're doing a good job in this aspect. But oftentimes he'll 
he'll say, hey, here's some great things that you're doing, but this is the one thing I have against you. As he opens up in, in the church of Ephesus, he goes, hey, I know that you're doing a lot of things. I understand your deeds. I know you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also do. You know, I, I, I understand what you're doing, and I, I, I pat you on the back for that, but there is this one thing that I have against you, that you have left your first love. And so he draws out, here's the positive, but here is the negative. And the negative actually is going to far uh, overpower the positive because you can, you can do things, you know, as a church, uh, you know, for the, you're doing it because it's supposed to be done, but you do it with the wrong heart, you know, and you, you do it for the wrong reasons and you do it because I'm supposed to, you know. And, and you've left your first love. Getting back to that first love is what the heart of Jesus was to the church of Ephesus. Um, and, and so in the beginning, what happened is that the church of Ephesus, what you begin to see is that legalism began to just pour into the church very, very quickly. Very quickly. And, and many people would come in and start to lord things over the congregation and say, you've got to do this, 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 and this. And you know what? It's understandable. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fine balance there that, that we are confronted with as a Christian that maybe you've thought about and you've considered. Maybe as I'm saying it for the first, maybe as I'm saying it, you're hearing it for the first time and you're going, well, yeah, now you're kind of putting me in a quandary because, because I, I never have really thought about it that way. But, but the idea is, is he's going to go through and he's going to look at these seven churches and there's a few of these churches that want the government to become a part of the church, the church to become part of the government. And he wants to marry church and state. And, and in as much as we, uh, you know, here even in Ephesus, you know, you got these people that are coming in and saying, hey, no, this, 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 and this need to be done. And if you don't do this, you're out. You're kicked out of our church. You're gone. You know, and, and grace started to take a back seat to law again. And that's exactly what Christ came. He, he came in the fullness of the letter. In the fullness of the letter of the law, he lived perfectly. And now we no longer live by the law. We live by the grace that we find in Christ. And, and so that stopped being preached in some of these early churches, especially in Ephesus. It stopped being preached because they were stuck in this quandary, kind of like Corinthians. You know, you look at them. Now, if you begin to draw out a whole bunch of laws that they need to abide by, then, then what happens is that now you're beginning to create your own commandments that maybe were not given to you of the Lord. And, and so what ends up happening is that you begin to, to have a grace law and not a Ten Commandments type law, but a grace law. And, and now all of a sudden, grace takes a back seat to the law and, and then you begin to dictate in the church that these are the rules that you... I mean, you basically can have all these different things written on your wall over here. Hey, am I abiding by all these? If I am, then I can still be a member of this church. If I'm blowing it in one of these areas and they find out, I'm going to get kicked out of this church. And that was the Nicolaitans. It was power over the laity. That's what Nicolaitan means. And that's what the church of Ephesus, Jesus says, hey, I don't like that. I don't like these guys that are coming in and taking over the pulpits and, and having this power over the laity. The laity is a congregation. You know, and, and Nico means power. You know, power over the laity. 
Nicolaitans. And these guys love to have that. And, and Jesus says, I, 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 man, I am encouraged that you hate that also, those deeds. But you, you know, in as much as you hate those deeds, which is a good thing, there's one thing that you've, you've messed up on, and that is you forgot what it was all about in the first place. You left your first love. Well, you see how I can take this and make this a very, very long message? I mean, I could spend all day on Ephesus. But it goes on and it talks about you know, all the different characteristics of these churches. So a local application, I think that there also is a historical application. And what I was sharing with you is the historical aspect of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus started off strong. They had a first love experience with the Lord. They were walking strong, but then they allowed different people who were beginning to dictate. At first it wasn't so bad, but then as more and more and more came in and the years began to go on, all of a sudden it became more controlled by the pulpit, more controlled by those that were coming into power, more control over the church. And, and, and it got to a point where it became sinful. And so that was a time in, in history that happened in the church. And so not only was Jesus talking about this church locally, but he's also talking about any church that lets that happen. Don't let somebody come in and become the dictator in a church. The leader of a church is Jesus Christ. The church is his bride. No pastor is the groom. A pastor is simply an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. I am not here to espouse my own views. I'm here, if I do that, I'm in direct rebellion against God. I'm here to kind of be a mediator, if you will, but I'm not the mediator, please. But, it, you know, the understanding of a priest back in the Old Testament was, you know, God's hand of reaching man and man's hand of reaching God. It's the reason why the priest would go into the temple once a year to offer sacrifices. He was actually going into the temple to offer the blood on the of the sacrifice to the Lord, representing man to God. And as he exited, he represented God to man, saying, hey, your sins are forgiven. You know, and so in a very interesting way, a pastor is supposed to be just that. I'm, I'm to be representing God to you and representing you to, to God, but not like the Old Testament. Jesus is our mediator. And so here's the thing. As a pastor, I need to be doing what Jesus would have me to do. Now, many years ago, um, Bert uh, was in, I didn't even know where Bert is, but is he gone? Oh, he's over over there. Bert, and I think Kevin was a part of it, you know, where where I had a, a, uh, uh, a class in here for men, a men's discipleship class. And, you know, I was, we had a, a phrase that, that we coined, the sheepdogs, you know, the sheepdogs. And, and so here's the thing. When you think of a sheepdog, you think of a, a shepherd out with his flock of sheep. Well, 500 sheep that he's taking care of, and he has, say, eight dogs out there helping him, the sheepdogs. You know, and the, the, the lambs, they start running around, the sheep start going all around. What happens to the sheepdog? The sheepdogs kind of corral. But what do the sheepdogs do? Do they do their will? No, they don't do their will. They're constantly looking at the shepherd, and the shepherd's whoop, whoop, you know, and, and they go and they get these guys, and the, these stray sheep, and they bring them back in, and so on and so forth. They lead them in the direction that the shepherd wants. They lead them beside the still waters. They lead them into the, into the deep, pure pastures, you know, the good grass, you know. The shepherd does that. The sheepdogs are simply to help funnel them in the right direction. 
The sheepdog don't have a direction other than what they see from the shepherd. And that is what I believe a pastor should be. I believe anybody who is a Christian, that's what we are to be. Especially when we're talking to people. Especially as we lead people. We have to be sheepdogs for the Lord. And so it's in that that, that uh, I, I believe that these guys were abusing their position. And, and so there was a time in history where that was very prevalent. And, and then as you go through all of the various churches, you know, again, because I don't have the time, you know, this, this Ephesus, you know, can be seen as the apostolic age, the apostolic church that kind of ranged from about, you know, the time of the beginning of the church around 33 AD, you know, to around 100 AD, you know, about the time that Paul, that John's writing this letter. And, and now those are not set in concrete dates. But it's just an idea of a historical time period that this happened. And, and the, the church of Smyrna, you know, as you look at verses 8 through 11, we're not going to go through these, but just you can go home and look at it later. You can look at this and you're going to see that the characteristic of this church is a church that has been persecuted. And oftentimes from within its own self. Its own self. The church will persecute uh, even the church, you know. And, uh, and, and that, that began to happen, you know, around the end of this apostolic church or apostolic age there, you know, about to 8033 to AD 100. And then somewhere around that 100 to 313, somewhere around there, the, the characteristic of not just the church of Smyrna, but the church as a whole, it came under incredible persecution. And, and so then you move into the time of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos is, is the, the, the church of, and, and this church and, uh, uh, and, and Thyatira, uh, both will touch on, I believe, the time of Roman Catholicism. And I'm sorry if you're a Roman Catholic here today. I don't mean to offend you or anything like that. But, but the things that you see in these two churches, Pergamos and Thyatira, what we see here is that we see that there is this, this, this church that is, is going in and it's becoming so powerful and it begins to hurt the church that does not see things the way they see it. Um, Thyatira is a, a church that, uh, you, know, you know, here in the church of Pergamos, they hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans where they have power over the laity. You know, and, and that would speak of a pope that, that says, you know, I and my word is just like gospel, is just like Jesus' words. In fact, I can speak for all of the church. My word is doctrine. And, and that's not true. That's not true. You know, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, not the man Christ Jesus and the Pope. The Pope is a sinner just like you and I. The Pope is not any greater than anybody. You and I are on the same ground footing as the Pope is in the eyes of the Lord. And so to place a man in such high esteem, in such a place that says, this is what can happen and this is what cannot happen. I deem that this is a sin and this is not a sin. Well, I say hogwash. What does the word of God say? And, and I'm sorry if I come against, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not a billion people that are Catholics. 
The thing is, is that they've been indoctrinated and they followed after a tradition that I believe is an abortion of scripture, of power, the Nicolaitans, the abuse of power. And as you move into Thyatira, it talks about how, hey, I know, you know your, your works, I know your love and your service and your faith and your patience. You know, and, and the one thing that you can look at and see in many of the Catholic you know, sect, if you will, you see that there is a lot of service. There is a lot of service. And so do you throw the baby out with the bathwater and say they're all bad and they're all heathen and they're all horrible? No, I, I don't think so. I, I believe that there's a lot of good that has happened within the church, through the church. But I think that the very foundation on which they are, the platform on which they are launching from is a bad platform. It's the wrong platform. Even though there's some good that can come out of it, it still makes, it doesn't, it doesn't make an excuse for the platform from which they launch. And so if the platform from which they launch is somebody who is claiming to have a direct revelation from God and that my word is gospel, my word is doctrine, well, that is hogwash. That is a blasphemer. But it doesn't mean that they don't still do good things. You know, I mean, what we think of, you know, I'm going to think of an older woman who was a servant. She was a, she, what was she, she was the, uh, uh, the, the, a tramp for Christ. What was her name? Mother Teresa. I mean, we know her name. She's Catholic, man. She loved people and she ministered to people. Okay. Did she do a lot of great things? Yes. Did she have a platform that was wrong? Yes. You know, and, and as we look in the church of Thyatira that also kind of moves over into this, this Catholic church, it says, you know, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are even more than the first. You, you do a good job when it comes to service. And, and, and that. But there's this one thing. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants to commit sexual immorality, eat things sacrificed to idols. And, and I gave her time to repent. But she wouldn't. And so he, here's the thing I'm going to thrust you into a sickbed. The, the point is what is Jezebel? What is this woman that we're talking about? Now, lest you think I'm going to. Uh, be almost blasphemous, I believe that this is a picture of Mary. Now, mind you, it's an aborted picture of Mary, but it's a picture that the Roman Catholics have taken and elevated Mary to some position that God never intended her to be. Mary is a godly woman. Mary was a godly woman who loved God and that she was blessed above all women because she got the opportunity to carry Jesus who saves us from our sins. But it, when it comes to Mary doing anything for us in heaven, when it comes to Mary stepping in and being median between us and Jesus, that is just heresy. That's just heresy. She is a woman who needs to be saved just like you and I do. But wait a minute. Doesn't she have, you know, a, a you know, a, a, doesn't she have like, you know, a, a luxury because she's the one that carried the child? No, she still needs a savior just like you and I. What Jesus said about Mary and her brother and, and his brothers would be to a Catholic unheard of. Remember Jesus was teaching in a house one time and the Mary 
And Jesus' brothers came to get Jesus because they were going, man, he's getting too powerful. And so many things are happening that we've got to get this guy out of here because we're afraid for his life, basically. And they go to Jesus and, and they're, they can't even get into the house because it's so packed. And somebody comes to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside and sisters are outside. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? But you. You are all my brother, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. You are my family if you do the things that I say. Now, here's the thing. He just totally dissed his mom. Now, I couldn't do that to my mom or I'd get whacked across the face. But Jesus wouldn't get whacked across the face because Jesus was God in human flesh. And Mary was a sinner that needed to be saved by grace, just like you and I. He didn't say, oh, it's Mary, Holy Mother Mary of grace, full of grace and truth. Come in, you know, open up the door for her and let her. He didn't give that kind of respect to her. Never do you see Jesus give that kind of respect to Mary. But the Catholics have done that. And, and so they're, and the reason that they've done it is because they've married the world with the church. They've tried to join the church with the state. And so Church of, of Pergamos and Thyatira dealing with the Catholic Church. Um, much of this is even up into this present day. And, and then you move into Philadelphia. It's a church that is a church of brotherly love. It's a time of what we would look back in the history as, as kind of the great awakening, you know, from you know, a, a, a time where... Um, or I'm sorry, I jumped into Philadelphia. I meant Sardis. Sardis was a, a time that I would say goes back to the beginning of it would be kind of back into the time of Martin Luther. It's the Protestant Reformation. It, it's the time of the history of the Protestant Reformation where, where they looked at some of the things that the Catholic Church were saying and saying, hey, these indulgences that you pay in order to go out and sin, you know, hey, I'm going to go and commit adultery. And so, Father, how much will that cost me in order to be exonerated by God in order to go and sin with my neighbor's wife? Well, that'll cost you, you know, X amount of, you know, you know, penance, you know, all right, well, here's the money, boom, 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 there it is, now I can go and enjoy myself with my neighbor's wife, because the pastor, because the, the, the priest, I paid for that sin, and, and that's just, I don't, I don't even know how somebody ever thought that was right, but penance, buying indulgences, was something that was prominent. And Martin Luther didn't like that. He, he saw that there was some problems with that. And he went and marked out, do you remember the 95 thesis that he hammered up on the door? You know? and, and as he hammered those things, he came under incredible attack from the Roman church. The Roman Catholics, they wanted to kill him and they ended up not being able to kill him. And, and so here's this time from about 1520 all the way up into the present day, much like Thyatira, even to this present day, we, we see the Protestant Reformation. We would probably be an off branch of that Protestant Ref Reformation, this church. But the thing is, is that we are not that, not altogether. The Protestant Reformation, I mean, Martin Luther went so far, but he, didn't, he, he did a lot of good things. But he also espoused and did a lot of bad things. I mean, they, if, if you didn't do communion the way that they did it, if you, if you wanted to, uh, uh, you know, if you wanted to uh, um, have fellowship the way, you know, and, and read and study the way that you wanted, if you wanted to have communion, if you wanted to, to baptize, 
You know, if you didn't want to baptize an infant and you go, you know what, we're not doing any infant baptisms. Baptism is, is, a, is a, it's a, a, it's an exercise, it's a covenant between somebody who is a believer and God representing and what has inwardly happened, I'm showing it outwardly. Baptism into a death and raising back to, to life. Walking into the water under your own volition. I'm walking in as a sinner. I'm being buried with Christ. I'm being risen together with Christ. And I'm walking out in newness of life. It's no longer my life that I'm walking out with, but it's walking out with Christ. Baptism. But when you baptize a baby, a baby doesn't have a choice. A baby has no decision in that matter. And so the Roman Catholic Church and even Martin Luther continued to carry with him some of those teachings of saying, hey, that's how you save a person. Well, that's not how you get saved. And now understand that even Martin Luther, and in back in this Reformation time, if you didn't believe the way that they wanted you to believe, they would kill you. You would be killed. If you didn't baptize, if you baptized as an adult but didn't baptize kids, you could be killed. If you took communion the wrong way, you could be killed. Now, there's a lot of good things that they did, much like there's a lot of good things that maybe even the Catholics did. But here's the thing. There was room, much room for improvement. And we don't look back and go, hey, I'm proud of that. No, I'm not proud of that. Not proud of that. There's things that are not good here. There are things that are really, really not good here. And then you move into Philadelphia. Philadelphia is the church of brotherly love. That high, you, know, you, you can look at this where love is a pervading you know, uh, place of the church where the church has this open eye experience of going, my goodness, wait a minute, just let's read this word of God as it's meant to be read and let's just in, be engulfed in the love and the grace that we see into the word and let's just see what God will do. And so you, this would be the time of history which we might look at from around 1700 up even into the present time uh, where some churches are affiliated with this kind of a mindset. And that is this great awakening kind of a mindset where, where the church shakes its head and goes, my goodness, how could we have missed Jesus and the grace of Christ and the love that he has for mankind all these years and add so many rules and add so many things. How could we have done that? God wants us to love mankind. God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more are we also not to be loving one another? Yeah, so, and so this great awakening happens. And, and, and so Jesus, he looks at this church of Philadelphia and Philadelphia, you know, means city of brotherly love, right? Brotherly love. He says, I, I have this open door. You have a little strength. You haven't denied, you know, my name. You know, you've kept my command. Uh, you know, listen, if you overcome, just keep overcoming. Keep overcoming. You know, I'll, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You'll, you, you know, you'll go in and you won't go out anymore. And I'll write your name in the name of my God and the name of the city down on the heaven and my God. And I'll write on him a new name, my new name. And so here, it, there's this affirmation that what you're doing is, is a good thing. Okay, now you got a good thing going. And then you move on into Laodicea, and that's a, a, a church where you begin to see it around the 1900s, even into really what we're seeing today. The church of Laodicea, it's just, you know, most of you know that term, most of you know what the aspect of that church is, the seven, that seventh church. 
Jesus says, you know, here's the thing about the Laodicean church. I know your works, that you are neither hot or or cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you, I will spew you out of my mouth because you say, hey, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and I I have need of nothing. And yet you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I'm counseling you. This is Jesus counseling the church of Laodicea to buy from me gold refined with fire that you may be rich. Not materially, spiritually. In white garments so that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. So Jesus is is rebuking the church of Laodicea, but he's also saying, but I love you. Turn back to me. This is a picture of our modern day church, especially in the last 8 to 10, 12 years. Our church has gone crazy. Not just this church. I'm saying the church in America, the modern day church, especially in America. it's, It's become this huge monstrosity, which... On one hand, you go, wasn't that a good thing? It's a good thing if what is being, you know, preached from this point, from the pulpit, is good meat. But the largest church in America, found in Texas, is not putting out good meat. It's not good meat. There is much heresy. There's a large church here in town. And one of the larger churches in town. Everybody loves it. So many people love it. Because they have all the music. They have all of the lights. They have all the cameras. They have all the neat things. But the pastor is sitting there saying, Jesus actually didn't have to die on the cross. In fact, I don't even believe in the virgin birth. I don't believe. I think that we can all be saved apart from Christ. I think other people can be saved. You know, you aren't going to be saved. Everybody can be saved apart from Christ. And you just go, what? That doesn't make any sense. That's not what the Word of God says. But everybody loves the guy because he's cool. He's hip. And they flock because that's where everybody else goes. So many people go and you go, that's just heresy. No, that's a church of Laodicea. I I think that here, here this guy is getting up there and contradicting the Word of God blaspheming God from the pulpit and the thousands of people were listening to him and embracing it. Now he, he, he may not come out strong and say those kinds of things in so blatant terms, but he laid out a doctrine. I've read it. I've gone through it. He will not listen to anybody on the reason. He goes, ah, This is the way I see it and this is the way it is. And look at my church. Who cares? Look at how big my church is. You're saying I'm wrong. Look at how big yours is. And see, that's how we we look at success today, isn't it? Our church is not a successful church. If you believe that. I think our church is a very successful church. I went to a church of, when I left there, it was over 12,000 people. There's over 12,000 people. And I know some of you guys, the, the Sullivan's came from there. Caps came from there. Listen, came from there. Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. I loved my time over there. 
But through my time over here, and knowing, and, and, and I was so plugged in over there. I, I, I had so many different ministries that I was leading over there. And, and, and it had hundreds of people that, that God had graciously given me to, to, to lead. The thing is, is that I had some great friends and still have... I mean, Kevin being Andy. I, well, and I didn't know Andy when he was over there but, but, uh, and Meredith. But I, I knew Kevin. And I still have such awesome friends. But I'll tell you this. If I took the percentage of those in this room of my church that has been a part of this church that God has allowed me to be a part of and I take what it is that they know of the word of God, what it is that they know of who Jesus is, what it is that they know of grace and I take the percentages of our church and take the same percentages from Fort Lauderdale, I think we win. I think we win. Oh, you're just biased. I'm not biased. I was a part of both churches. This is the smallest church I've ever been a part of. Smallest church prior to this, 1,300 members in in California. It's crazy. I don't know why God did this, but he did. But I'll tell you, I brag on you guys. I love you guys. I think you guys know a lot. You guys are growing and you continue to grow. That's a cool thing. But if you're wanting the cool things... We don't necessarily have them. I don't necessarily have them. But if you long for truth, it's not just spoken here. There's many churches that speak truth. I'm not saying, hey, we're the only church in Sarasota, because we're not. There's other churches that speak total truth, and man, they're, and they're bigger than us. Much bigger. There's a lot of churches that are much bigger. But here's the thing. If the pastors aren't teaching truth, no matter how big the church is, you've you got to flee. But some people are just too lazy to do that. And so, so Jesus is talking about these pastors. He's talking about the, 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 the congregation that's in this church. He's saying, you know, you're going to church for the wrong reasons. You think that I think it's good that you're going to church. But you know what? You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. You make me sick. You make me sick. You make my stomach turn. Now, how would you like to be a pastor that has spent all your life in a pulpit and then hear Jesus say that at the end of your life? I I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want you to be that guy or that gal. Know the word. Know the word. Understand that the word is there for you and for me to learn and we don't need some special guy that goes in and changes doctrine. That makes God sick. That makes God sick. But the cool thing about this is, is he says, listen, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the... This is where this is. You know this verse? A lot of us know this verse and we just, we don't know that this is where it's found. But listen, this is... Jesus is talking to the church that makes him want to puke. And that is this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now here's the cool thing about that. It's okay. Sorry. These guys have a, a dinner date at noon, so they're not mad because I spoke about Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll see you. Hey, it's good seeing you, Ted. God bless you. Um, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> I mean, how? 
I needed to get you back up here because I know that there's some of you going, wow, he really did something to those guys. What is the matter with them? You know? And so they're walking out and you're, you aren't going to hear another thing that I said all the time. You know? And you're going to go, okay, what did he say? And you're going to go back to thinking about what ticked them off. What, what did I say right before they got up and left? They, they told me beforehand, hey, about quarter till when I'm out of here. We got to go because we got a dinner engagement at noon. Um, that was Andy's dad, and his dad is back here from Seattle. He's visiting him for a couple of, uh, of days, and he's leaving later today. But uh, here's the cool thing. I, I got to finish, but it, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Repent, Laodicea. Jesus says, Repent. Okay, he's calling the lukewarm church, he's, ca- he's calling the modern church, especially in America, to repent. Don't be caught up in those things. Oh, you say, well, I have wealth. Look at all the wealth that I have. Look at all the things that I have. That doesn't impress me at all, Jesus would say. What that makes me do, it makes my stomach sick. I want to throw up when you show me all of the wealth that you have. Wealth is not the wrong thing. It's how you're using and, how, and what it is that you're basing righteousness on that is what's making me sick. You're not doing these things for the right reason. You're doing it for a paycheck. You're doing it to gather more people. You're doing it to be the biggest club in town. You're doing it to be like something that the world has that the church is never intended to be. But now you are just like the clubs in town. You're, you're allowing the world to become so empowered in your church that, that you want people to come in and go, wow, I'm, I'm in a club, I'm doing exactly what the world does, but they say Jesus, and so we're good. And Jesus says that makes me sick. Because you've, you've, you've sanitized the world and you've stopped listening to pure doctrine. To pure doctrine. You're, 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 you're not humble in that area. He says, so, so, so listen, listen. Be zealous and repent. Because listen, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And even more... To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so here's the thing. He says to the church of Laodicea, you make me sick right now. But, but here's, what I'm, here's what I'm asking. Be zealous, repent. I love you. I'm knocking at your door. I believe that this church, it's a large church here in town that's teaching false doctrine, blasphemy. I believe that Jesus is saying these kinds of things to him, saying, hey, I still love you. I want you to repent. Because if you don't, make, if you don't repent, I don't believe this guy's going to heaven. I don't believe this guy's got a relationship with God. I, don't believe, I believe that this guy is living a lie and he's leading... Thousands of people down the same... He's the Pied Piper leaving thousands of people down the same road as he is. Right down into hell. And I, I, that, that causes concern. When the gravity of a person's soul begins to be lost on a pastor, he needs to step out of the pulpit. <laughs> 
He needs to step away. Because if you lose that, what are you going to teach? You're going to teach popularity. You're going to teach modern. You're going to modernism. You're going to teach things that, that the world wants to hear instead of, you know, here's the thing. You're teaching doctrine. Instead of teaching doctrine, teaching truth. And, and so here's the thing. Can we minister to ourselves and others? Yeah. And I finish with this. We've talked about the local church. We've talked about the historical church. All of these churches you can find in history, in a time of history at times. The last four churches actually have even moved even in here to our present modern day. I believe those churches are still relative today. First three churches, they stopped. The last four churches are still you know, working today and, and, and living. The characteristic of that is still living today. And for sure, there's some aspects of those other three churches that are still active in churches today. But for the most part, the third aspect of, the third, third characteristic of a church is not just local, not just historical, but also personal. I believe that every one of these churches you will identify with. And as I've gone through all of these churches, you might look at it and go, well, what church more characterizes my life? And, and you know, it, it's, it's funny how many people will go, oh, Philadelphia, dude. I'm on Philly. I'm an Eagle fan even. So I, I must be good. But I, I, just, I, would just, I, I don't want to show a hands. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and I want you to think. Which church do you identify with? Are, were you Ephesus? Were you Ephesus? You've left your first love. You're doing the right things. You go to church and so on and so forth. But, but somewhere along the line, you stop loving the Lord. You've left your first love. Repent. Remember where you fell. Repent and go back and do the things that you did in the beginning. You know, as you move all the way through all of these churches, you're going to line up with one of these churches. You're probably going to line up with a few of them. But where those aspects that, are, that show a negative connotation towards your spiritual walk, if you line up in any of these seven churches where God is rebuking these seven churches and you see your life in that, take the word that Jesus said to these churches and follow them letter to the T. Every single letter. When he says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. I've got caught up in the modern day church. Be zealous and repent. Yeah, but I won't get what a lot of other people do. Well, okay. One day, there's heaven. There's nothing on this earth that is going to compare. There's nothing that you will ever give up. Jesus even said it himself. Lord, the disciples said, we've left fathers and mothers, our families for your sake. You know, what are we going to get in heaven? He goes, listen, there is not one person who has ever sacrificed in this earth that will not be repaid a hundredfold in heaven. You cannot ever outgive God. You can never outsacrifice God. You can never outdo the Lord. I can guarantee you this heaven is greater than you think it is. 
Heaven is greater than we can ever even come up with in our puny minds. Heaven is going to be awesome. And it isn't about this earth. It's not about this world. It's about, it's about living for Jesus and Him crucified. Amen? I am out of time. I, I, I might have to do one more week to answer. I've still got like eight questions, but they're fairly quick questions that I will answer. But um, when I come back, I'll probably finish off this study, and then we'll move right into December, and then we'll get into the next study. So um, I have one more, one more uh, prophecy uh, Q&A session. So um, I hope that some of this is helping you. I hope that some of this is, uh, I know that some of you guys might be going, well, a lot of this is just like a normal Bible study. Well, you know what? <laughs> prophecy is a normal Bible study. You know, everything about prophecy points us back to the word. And are we sure what it is that we know about what the word of God says? You know what? Be safe. Be a student of the word. That means get your nose in this thing every day. That means be very familiar with this word of God. One of the coolest things that I love about Tuesday night men's group is, man, we can go deep over here. It's fun. It's fun to get into this discussions that the guys get into over here. If you're a guy and you're not a part of that, I don't know what, you got to get there. You just got to get there because the discussions there are, are deep and they're fun. And they're, they, we dig, we'll dig. And it's awesome what some people come up with, man. It, it's, it's a blast to do that. Gals, uh, you can come one time just to see how we do it so that you guys can do it. I'm just joking. You guys, are, you guys rock. So, um, hey, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you know all things past, present, and future. There is nothing that can be known that you do not already know. God, as we've looked at these seven churches today, I, I didn't necessarily want to do the, a study on all seven churches. I've done a very, very quick summation on all seven churches today, but not necessarily intending to do that. But Lord, obviously it was it's pretty important because as we look at those areas and we see some of those things, it, I know the very first time I started looking at these things and somebody had, had revealed some of these aspects of these churches to me, I, I found it incredibly enlightening. I found it incredibly liberating as I began to see some of the struggles that various churches have had through the centuries. And, and I saw myself in some of those churches. I saw some of those weaknesses and some of those very same exact struggles that, Jesus, you were rebuking some of these churches for. And, and, and so, Lord, thank you for the study today. And I pray, God, that as we leave today, we leave with a nugget that just won't go away. We leave with a thought that stays stuck in our mind and in our heart. Lord, which church am I? Lord, I'm asking you to go deep in my life and reveal to me which church am I? And as you reveal to me what church my life is characterized by, or if there might be two, maybe even three churches that my life is characterized by, then, Lord, help me to be humble enough to, to own it. Help me, Lord, to want 
to live for you more than I want to live for me. So that then I can take this revelation that you've given to me and offer it to you and repent of it and ask you, God, for guidance to lead me out of the the way that my, my spiritual character is being portrayed to you in heaven. that I am solely responsible for. Lord, reveal to me my church. Not just Calvary Chapel. Reveal to me which church I identify with in these seven churches in Revelation. And then help me to correct those areas that I need to be correcting. Help me to to walk in you in love and in grace and in purpose that brings you glory and you only. I lift up this congregation to you, Lord. I love them so much. And I pray, God, that as I'm away from them, Lord, that you would be with them. You would strengthen them. You would bless them. You would be with them in every step of the day, every thought that flashes through their mind every sin that they approach whether in temptation or whether in uh, commission Lord that you would cause them quickly to turn to you and confess repent and return to you Lord and bless them abundantly May they grow in you. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint Pastor Kevin as he brings your word, as I know he's going to do. I love what you lay on Kevin's heart. I love what he shares. I love just his heart for you. I love his heart for these sheep. There's not one person in here that would ever doubt the love that Kevin has for anybody in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint him and that you would blow our minds with the words that you're going to share through his mouth the next few weeks. Bless this congregation, Lord. Draw us closer to you. Let us not just stay stagnant. Help us to move. Help us to grow. Help us to mature. Help us not to be satisfied staying still. Help us to know you better every day. And help us not to to relax on our growth. But Lord, may we grow ever stronger in you. On a day-by-day basis, may we know you better at the end of the day than we did when we woke up in the morning. That's our prayer. That's our goal. In Jesus' name, amen. thanks for listening. So did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor